Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm Brandon David, your host as always. Thank you so much for joining us. You could have been a lot of places today. You could have listened to a lot of different podcasts today, but you're here with me and I appreciate that. Uh, great show today. Great show. We have Hillary of the Our Dream Academy, which is a nonprofit accelerator set up for minorities and people affected by the war on drugs. It's a super interesting conversation about where we are in terms of minorities and equity, both in cannabis and, and outside a little bit. Um, something a lot of lip service is paid to, something, you know, MSOs and big investors, they know they need to do. Uh, and Hillary has set up a platform for them to do that. Uh, resources, connections to funding. Uh, it's, a, it's a great program. I'm going to spend some time mentoring there. I love accelerators. If you listen to the show, you know how much I love incubators and accelerators. Anyway, guys, it's a really awesome episode. I want to take a quick minute to tell you about a new sponsor. Uh, well, actually, a returning sponsor, Bespoke Financial, which is the leader in debt in cannabis. So that means you can get money, fund whatever you need to fund, and not give up that very precious equity. Uh, this is a company I've known pretty much since the beginning. George and the homie Judson, they've been on the show before, like I said. Um, and they've really grown up. It's so cool in this industry to watch your friends and the best companies grow and scale. They started with this single account receivable uh, product, which really helps cannabis companies get money in the door to finance things without giving up a piece of their company, which is so, so huge. But now they've really grown into a full-blown fintech company. They've automated an incredible amount of things. So really, really cool to watch them develop and evolve into what is a proper finance technology company today? Um, really excited to tell you more about them over the coming weeks. Uh, and just thank you guys. It's so nice when people support independent media. It makes me want to keep going. It makes me feel like people want to hear this stuff in the world. So thanks again, guys. Go check out Bespoke Financial for all your debt needs. Look, you need money. Don't give up that equity. You're working hard for it. Anyway, thanks again, guys. Hillary, so nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, well, I'll get you started on an easy one. What is our dream? So our dream is an inclusive media site. We launched in 2020 alongside um, our academy, which is a 501c3 pre-accelerator for social equity applicants and BIPOC entrepreneurs. Good answer. Lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> Let's start with sort of the overarching idea here. Um, wh why do we need something like this? So we actually launched in the middle of the pandemic um, when, I mean, the, the big P word, um, when the majority of social equity programs were being shut down, they were the first on the budget list that like was deemed not incredibly necessary. Um, and so we reached out to a bunch of equity operators um, who either had transitioned from the legacy market um, or they had or or cannabis founders who had recently raised capital and basically um, asked them to donate their time primarily because quite a few equity operators in licensed states um, were signing predatory deals because there weren't technical assistance or support programs um, to support them to understand you know, what they were getting into and how to vet an operating agreement. So unfortunately, quite a few folks got themselves into a few hairy situations and 
we wanted to take the position of the best playing the best defense is playing good offense. Um, and so one way to do that was to uh, create an educational program um, to support equity applicants across the country um, through our academy. Got it. And so the original idea is basically like to sort of give a leg up to people that maybe didn't have that advantage, right? And try to catch them up in terms of skills and resources and all that good stuff, correct? That, yeah, that's- I mean, the, the thing about equity operators and legacy operators is it's not the lack of skill. It's that, you know, they may not have had, um, I would say, the more uh, traditional educational background. Um, and specifically in cannabis, as we all know, it's incredibly capital intensive. And um, in order to do that, you probably need to have a great network of friends and family to raise a friends and family round to keep the lights on. Um, and so, you know, how do you do that if you don't have um, an aunt, uncle, cousin that, you know, has like a spare cool 10K of cash ready to deploy um, here and there? I mean, you needed some type of strong network. Um, so, yeah, we've we, we, the whole idea is we it's, we're digital. So it's, um, we're open to everybody across the country and we do workshops and we cover everything from how to create, um, a compliance skew to how to vet an operating agreement, how to fundraise. Um, and then based on whatever their personal mandates are, they take that information and, um, either apply it to their municipalities, um, and advocate for themselves there or, you know, there are some folks who don't want to, they realize the amount of um, time it takes to actually apply for a license and what it means to keep a, a compliant license. Mm-hmm. And um, they, you know, just want to create a non-plant touching brand as well. Mm-hmm. Got it. <clears throat> so there's a couple different parts within that, that sort of manifest that, that overall dream or, or sort of theme there. Tell us a little bit about the syndicate that you mentioned. Yeah. So the syndicate um, is, Last year, or the I mean, the past two years have been pretty reactive. Um, we created our academy because of the pandemic and because the uh, programs within municipalities were not serving equity applicants as holistically as we had wanted. And then um, throughout the program, you know, whenever someone you know was meeting an investor, we would basically say, "Here's a list of questions to ask," um, and whatever they would need, we would spin up either a workshop for it or supply them with support services. At the end of the program, ultimately, um, people needed to raise capital and or they needed some type of access to capital. And um, because cannabis is federally still uh, illegal, there aren't a ton of pathways to, you know, either safe banking um, or if you are getting a loan or you find debt, it's incredibly expensive. Um, So the syndicate came out of the need for equity applicants to raise money and the majority of investors that they were speaking to either later stage um, or they were just trying to figure out how to work with an equity applicant. Um, So we wanted to create a pool of investors that understood our mandate, um, had patient capital and were open to investing in equity applicants and BIPOC founders um, and you know, it kind of works both both ways. A lot of very few VCs and angels have access to early stage founders of, of this type. Um, and our mentees also just don't have this network. And so um, we we're hoping to create a, a platform to do so. 
So it brings up my first real question here, which is you mentioned patient capital. Mm -hmm. um, explain what you mean by that. Patient capital. Um, we're looking for investors that are not going to be coming knocking on their doors in two to three years asking if they're you know, about to sell their licenses um, or their companies. I mean, I would, the investment horizon would be around 10, 10 years or so. Um, and understand that in cannabis, in order to turn a profit, you need time. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I would say that the investment horizon for tech, I wasn't in tech, but from what I've heard, you could probably tell me, um, was around like three to five years or so. Um, for certain investments and we're, you know, we just know that it's going to take a little bit longer for um, equity operators to get uh, to get going. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's often like a happy medium, right, where there's some liquidity along the way or you can mm -hmm. get some cash flow or something. Right. That's how a lot of these work. But I guess more generally, like when investors look at these deals, do they feel kind of obligated? Is, you know, social equity is something that gets passed around a lot, but I find that very few people actually do anything about it, right? They get, right. they talk a lot about it. So when you bring these investors in, when you, and, and I assume they're mostly angel investors versus mm -hmm. institutions. Yeah. Like, how do you sort of reconcile that, right? Like you, you've gotten their attention because they, they want to do a good thing. They want to help people that otherwise wouldn't have help. But is it that the deals are as strong as what they would find other places or they're adding this piece of, you know, nonprofit or, you know, uh, contributing to society that kind of I mean, I feel like everybody has their own personal investing and mandate. Um, there are some folks that believe that, um, you know, there's immediate value that comes with a license and especially jurisdictions that have cap licenses. Um, there are only so many that are doled out. So if an equity applicant receives one, then there's immediate value tied to that. Um, and there are some people that believe in the need to create generational wealth for BIPOC founders. Um, and so obviously we would love a mix of the two. Um, institutional investors, the ones that we've met with so far, um, I mean, I can't speak to them, but I think it's a mix of the two. I think that you can um, be philanthropic and, um, and you know have some type of impact investing element while still making money. So. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me a little bit more about, we talked about the syndicate. Let's talk a little bit more about sort of the academy and mm -hmm. what's involved there. And, and you know, wh who's a good candidate for it? What could they expect to get out of it? I know you have a new co cohort launching next month. Is that right? Yeah, February 15th. So it's our second cohort. Um, it's, as I mentioned, online. So Really, everyone's available. If, if you are a BIPOC founder in cannabis or someone who's interested in, in um, you know, sw switching your, your license or your business into a compliant one, um, or are just curious about the cannabis industry, uh, we have workshops that are available to everyone across the country. Um, the actual mentorship part of it is what you have to really apply for. So, and what we match folks up with. Um, so we. You'll, I mean, I'll kind of explain the journey. You'll apply um, through our online application. And then I'm basically the one sifting through right now, 195 of them and making sure that 
you're A eligible, um, you have some type of thought process of what you're looking for and based on your needs, um, we'll, pa we'll pay you, pair you with a mentor. Um, the mentors are all coming from MSOs, legacy operators who have been compliant for the past two to three years and understand what it's like to apply for an equity license. Um, and, you know, or folks who have raised capital. Um, and so for example, Tess Taylor, who is one of our mentees, um, she created a company called Saucy, which is an infused pantry items company. They have an infused barbecue sauce. Um, she had this idea of creating Saucy and um, was learning, wanted to learn more about um, raising money. And so we paired her with Joyce Sonali from Big Rock um, and her associate. She's great. Um, She's been on the show as well. Yeah. Oh, she has. Yeah, she's awesome. And so is Eric. And so they helped um, test with her pro forma um, and helped her get ready for any of her pitches. And then Joyce also was um, a mentor for a couple of the workshops. Nice. Yeah. Um, and what's a cohort size? You know, like what was the first cohort? How many companies? So 59 of our mentees were paired with mentors, 110 people um, applied and were accepted into the whole cohort. I would say um, we had a lot of parents and a lot of people who had two jobs that they were juggling and would tune in when they could. Um, ideally, we've told everybody you get out of it what you put in. And so the people who showed up for every um, workshop and touched base with our mentor every single week um, I would say have gotten the farthest with our companies, but there are a few folks that came up 50% of the time and still got a ton out of it. And we still support them. Um, and we know it's a non, this is a nonprofit. So um, it's not like Y Combinator where it's like, if you're not coming to X amount of workshops, you're, you're out. Um, so yeah. It was designed to be as helpful as, as and, possible. Um and when you say success, I mean, what, what does success look like for a company that when, I think you're calling it a pre-accelerator, which I like, yeah. <laughs> um, what does success look like from this? Um, our metrics are a little bit different. I mean, if you're, if you're speaking to your mentor after our, our program is done and you still touch base and they're still helping you out and vice versa, and you're collaborating together, I think that that's a, a successful pairing. Um, but success in the sense that you've potentially launched into a dispensary. If you have a brand, if you've received a license, um, if you've plugged into the network and have started working with other business owners within the program and have gotten, I don't know, some type of supply chain solutions. Um, that's, that's awesome. Um, and so it's obviously there are different types of companies that are coming through our Academy. And so it's going to be different for everybody, but I would say, um, as I mentioned, the people who showed up the most are now launching into dispensaries or receiving licenses. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not guaranteed, but um, yeah, it's, it's something that we've seen. So I've been around a lot of accelerators, incubators, uh, the gateway incubator. I think I was like the first mentor with, with, um, with Ben Larson, who I saw Vertosa supports you guys. Now I launched the launch incubator in San Francisco. And one of the frustrating things that I found just, just listening to you talk about it is we would add tremendous value to these companies and they would make partnerships and whatever, whatever. But ultimately our program was always judged on how much money did the companies raise at the end. Right. And I imagine that in your 
situation. You must get that a lot. And then it's kind of like, well, that's not exactly the point here, right? How, how do you sort of reconcile that? I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I'm in the like, I don't give a fuck what your metrics are position. Um, and obviously if you're an accelerator and people are coming to you, like I mentioned for Y Combinator, which is important, capital is important, don't get me wrong. Um, but if, because we're a pre-accelerator and we're also a nonprofit, our point is to get people A, educated to know what they may not have known and to hire for areas in which they're not, you know, the most like competent in certain areas, like to learn that maybe, you know, accounting isn't your bag and you know what 280E is and you need to actually save for that. And you're not going to get dinged in the next five years so much so that it closes down your business. Then that's something. Um, but we hear that all the time. Are they raising money? Do you have investors? And that was the reactive part of 2021 in which we basically were like, okay, we're getting asked about this from investors. Our mentees want to raise capital, but at the same time, they need traction. Um, and or else these investors are going to say like, cool, I'm going to give you a fun 500 grand. I now own 75% of your company. That's also problematic. Um, so we actually did something different, which was a brand demo day and for brands specifically who had created a concept and needed help getting into dispensaries. We partnered with herbal and they contacted a bunch of their dispensaries that they work with and they showed up to a virtual demo day nice. and the brands pitched and they got into stores. Um, we're going to hopefully do that again this year. Um, and we will be doing a. If I would, I think the question should probably say, what was the success of your demo day? It's not, I wouldn't say that, that it's aligned with the success of the, the cohort. And mm -hmm. so that's my, I guess that's my very long-winded response to that. <laughs> no, I think that's a good answer. And, and that is success, right? If someone could come in that didn't have any connections to retail and get their product in retail, that's an incredibly hard thing to do. Um, and even though you're a nonprofit, they should be paying you for that. But anyway, that's a different conversation. <laughs> Thanks. I'll just tell you with that on that later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about sort of social equity more generally. Uh, it's in the news for cannabis, not just for cannabis, but for society. But we'll talk mm -hmm. about it in terms of cannabis every day. And it seems that all the big MSOs are trying to put their foot in the water and, you know, at least virtue signal to the world. Um, how are we doing as a whole in terms of social equity? Not great. <laughs> We're trying. And this is the one industry in which. I mean, it's rooted in the fact that we know that a significant amount of the population was impacted by the war on drugs and we need to do better. And um, it's associated with that. And so, I mean, it's one thing to know is that social equity, the, the definition when it comes to cannabis is different for every municipality. And because um, we are segmented by um, different states that are legalized and some states that are some municipalities that opt into social equity programs, um, there's different requirements for every jurisdiction. Um, so it's become a bit of a catch-all term, but I would say we're trying, but we could do better. And um, a lot of organizations are, not organizations, but a lot of companies are trying, they still have to be profitable. And I get that and a lot of people are making money in weed in the first place to, do, to donate or create programs to do so. But there's ways in which you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money to be supporting social equity. And so one thing that we've been trying to consult 
pro bono um, with MSOs and dispensaries is, you know, how do you support um, black and um, or diverse founded companies without having to spend a ton of money on programming around that, which is like educating your buyers, um, having preferential payment terms, um, marketing opportunities within your newsletters or whatever it may be that, you know, you are using. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be easy doing an incredible program. Um, don't get me wrong, but like, it doesn't have to be an entire program like that. Um, so there's creative solutions in which we what are your thoughts on the ease program? I have to admit, I don't know too much about it. So, yeah, I think they're doing a great job. I mean, to be giving out $50,000 grants, um, is huge and they've dedicated a really, um, a, a great group of people to the programming of it all. Um, Jen Lujan and Darius Ishak has since left, but um, have built something incredibly strong. Um, they, I think they accept around like 15 or so companies at a time. Uh, you do need to be on the market and they have a demo day. And, um, and yeah, I mean, for the most part, I've heard incredible things and actually a, a few of our mentees have gone on and, um, applied to their accelerator and been accepted as well. Yeah. Well, that's always a really good sort of proof of concept too. Like if you have companies that then go on to get accepted into bigger things, right. It's like, that's, that's what you you did your role. So I, I guess I know you're a nonprofit today. Mm-hmm. Is there a business here? Is that coming? Um, we're, we're working on the accelerator and I mean, and this is, we're like speaking publicly and, but I would love to eventually work on a fund. Um, and I don't know if it's a fund to fund, it's our own fund, um, but a place that early stage cannabis founders can go to and raise capital and have the most frustrating thing that I think our founders are hearing is we'll give you a check when you have another investor in. And so how the hell are you supposed to start? It's like when we get out of college or high school and they're like, you know, you're great for this role, but you need five years of experience. (laughs) Um, And so that would potentially be a business model down the line, which we could actually, people who came out of the cohort who were successful, we could actually put some capital behind them. Um, When we first, before we launched, this was supposed to actually be a brand concept where um, part of proceeds was going back to an educational program. And I just realized I cared about the pre-accelerator more than creating a brand. So that was the initial idea for a company. Um, and ever since, you know, that's really fallen by the wayside and, and we're not going to be doing that. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that a fund would be incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Funds are, funds are fun. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure you go to all the same conferences and meetups that everybody in the cannabis industry does. And if you're like me, you walk in those rooms and you notice that there's a lot of middle-aged white dudes in suits. Oh yeah. And um, I wonder what you would tell that person, you know, this abstract person, what should they know about social equity or helping people of color or, you know, what, what would you want to say to them? I suppose. Um, you're missing out on some great opportunities uh, by nature of uh, not expanding your network. <laughs> that would be my very diplomatic answer. Uh-huh. Um, but I, 
I don't think it's just about, I mean, obviously it is about helping. And do I use the guilt card a lot with folks? Of course. Um, Miss Angela from Success Centers calls it professional begging. And I have become great at that, which is, you know, it'd be incredible if you can donate time or um, funds, uh, because that's how we keep this organization running. Um, But I do think that a lot of investors, MSOs, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that are being missed by just overlooking certain founders. Mm -hmm. And that's the long and short of it. No, I think that's good. And very diplomatic, by the way. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are there some really great success stories, not just from your own network, but, you know, when you look in the industry, um, are there companies or, you know, founders, people of color or LGBTQ that, you think are like a good role model, like, wow, they're doing this and people oh, pay attention. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, of course, plug people through from our Academy um, first and foremost, Morris Kelly was really who I had connected with prior to starting our dream in our Academy. Um, and honestly built a lot of the program around his needs. Uh, he was actually a mentor and a mentee. So he had transitioned from the legacy market um, and is now in 57 uh, dispensaries, was a, San Francisco's first um, social equity brand. It's called SF Roots. And he you know, had an incredible company, but there comes a point where you're, you're like delivering maybe $60,000 orders. And if you're not getting paid back within 90 days, what the hell are you doing? Um, you know, is the answer raising money or is it getting some type of, you know, uh, factoring solution situation going? And so he was trying to figure that out. He was paired with a mentor, um, Ted Lichtenberger from Flower Company. Also been on the show. Oh, yeah. He's also fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Morris has Morris has been like a big brother to a lot of the mentees in the program in which like he's helped people create SKUs and help them with supply chain solutions with his licenses. Um, Tess Taylor has, as I mentioned, she launched Dose of Saucy. Um, Trey Hobbs, he's out of Detroit. He um, was a legacy applicant before that program got shut down, but he launched Neighborhood Essentials and um, launched in California and is actually gonna be launching with ease in Detroit, um, which is exciting. Um, I could go on forever. And then Kika Keith, who was actually not part of our program, but she's an incredible, I think, person to look up to in the space who sued the city of LA for a hundred additional uh, social equity licenses and recently launched Grill RX, mm-hmm. which was LA's first black woman owned dispensary. I saw something about her. Yes, I did. Um, awesome. How about, um, you know, what kind of mentors have been in the program that you think have done a particularly good job and as an extension, you know, feel free to plug them, but then as an extension, who do you really want? You know, yeah. who really want as a mentor? Um, they may be listening, by the way. They, may they be could be listening. So feel free to hit us up. Um, I mean, I'll start off with, I would say the best mentors are just people who are involved. They're, the whole, we call this our Academy because it really has been a group effort. Um, and I'm the executive director, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of people putting a lot of input into different facets of the workshops, um, the programming, and with coming with ideas. Um, But 
Kimberly Dillon has been exceptional. Um, she's a good friend. She was the previous CMO of Papa and Barkley um, and now launched a company called Frig. Um, she has been, we actually went to MJ Unpacked. She helped a lot of people calm their nerves. She actually used to be a comedian as well. And so she's great on stage. Um, and she just showed up. And I think that's the, the biggest part of this all is like showing up and you don't necessarily have to have a solution for everything, but hearing folks out and, um, helping where you can, who else has been great? Um, as I mentioned, Morris has been phenomenal and this is, um, Joyce Sonali has helped Tess a ton with her pro forma and um, her entire fundraising process. We had 59 mentors, so I could, oh, wow. I could go on and on. That's a um, lot. It's a, yeah, it's a lot. Um, but Austin Stevenson, he had, yeah. and um, Jeff uh, Gray from SC Labs, mm-hmm. um, they also hosted, I think, one of the most attended workshops about how to create a compliance SKU. Um, so yeah, quite a few folks were phenomenal. Who do we want though? Um, we're looking for more, more investors that can give feedback, um, real honest feedback on, on pitches um, and who care about a mandate like this. It doesn't, they don't necessarily have to invest, but um, you know, I think it's helpful to have their point of view as well for our mentees who are trying to raise money and you know, speaking to these larger organizations. Well, I'd absolutely love to help. Um, we could talk about it more afterwards, but I love looking at decks and presentations and stuff. So we'll talk about that some more. But um, how about some of these other partners? You've got some great partners listed on the mm-hmm. website. Are these mentors companies? Well, you, mess, you mentioned Austin Stevenson of, of Vertosa. Mm-hmm. You know, is that kind of what those companies are or, or what else do they offer to the, to the cohorts? I mean, it's a mix of people who have donated um, or offered their time. And so, as I mentioned in 2020, nobody was making money. Everything was stalled. And so I just said, hey, can you donate your time? Um, We raised, the first year was off of (laughs) $9,500. And a lot of people who had um, some great expertise and basically would explain what they wish they would have known when they first got started. Um, cookies has been a huge supporter of the program. Um, and, oh, this is so terrible. They're right right behind me. Um, can, um, had some awesome mentors. I'm just trying to think of names here. Um, garden society were, were fantastic. Um, and herbal solutions, I would say, but, um, they would either, offer their time as mentors or, um, on workshops. Sounds like you need some East coast folks, like we do. You know, some investors. Cause obviously you're from LA, right? You're very yeah. California centric, but there's, there's actually reason to believe this is more necessary other places mm-hmm. than California, right? Cause California tends to be kind of progressive. Not that we don't need it here too, but I think you, you get what I'm saying. Um, I think a lot of times when people talk about equity programs or people of color, they often look at um, sort of the war on drugs, the illicit market, where we are today in terms of gray cannabis, if you will. What do we do 
right? Because there's a lot of people kind of straddling that line of, well, I have to sell something through the back door to keep the lights on, but I want to be a legal cannabis company and I don't really know where to go forward there, right? What do we do about sort of the illicit market? Does it have a place? Do we need a public service announcement? Like, what do we do? I mean, are you talking about as a consumer or someone in the industry? All the above. It's kind of the same problem, you know? I mean, I'm not giving any legal advice, but I, I mean, I would say that if someone had a non-compliant legacy operation and you're working in cash, save your cash because there's not a lot of it to be made in the legal space. But in order, I think that Morris has said this best, um, you almost just have to make the decision at some point and, and just, and be adamant about it because being compliant and um, the regulatory side of this and the amount of money it takes to keep up with taxes and especially if you have a brand paying everybody out for, for their um, their supply chain services, it gets expensive. Um, so, I mean, I in the long term, I, I, I think advocating for lower taxation for um, equity operators specifically, it would be huge. Um, but if you have your plug <laughs> and you're buying from your plug and they have better product, I can't blame you <laughs> because it's, it product is expensive in California. Taxes are in the 30 yeah. percentile. Yeah. And if you, if you talk about low income consumers, right. Mm-hmm. And they have the choice to pay half as much. Uh, it, it doesn't matter whether it's the cool brand or, you know, they saw an Instagram ad. that's not what it's about. Right. Um, that's why I, I often love, you, you mentioned Ted, but the flower company, even though it's kind of unintentional, bridges that gap in a lot of ways because yeah. it's so much less expensive. And I, there's a few companies that are doing that really well. Um, but ultimately, I think that when it comes to policy and legislators, I think it's really up to them to realize that unless they keep this this like taxation policy sky high, um, the, the legacy market is just going to continue to thrive. Mm-hmm. And so look, like what Ted is doing is phenomenal. Um, there's a lot of DTC companies that are speaking to um, legacy buyers, um, but in the long term, I mean, we need a, a, a real pathway forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, let's shift to you a little bit, sort of the yeah. executive behind everything. Um, are you a consumer yourself? How do you like to consume? Um, I'm not going to lie. I have asthma, so I'm an edibles. Queen. Okay. <laughs> and like, what kind? Do you have special brands that you like? I mean, I guess you're going to mention your brands, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I, um, so Potley and SF Roots came out with some dope shrimp chips. Love those. Um, I use potly honey, um, sauces, uh, saucy Tess's uh, barbecue sauce and vinaigrette is they're incredible to cook with, or just like add on the side. Um, what else? Sunday schools, um, gummies. They're like, they're mochi or like boba esque gummies are fantastic. Um, and I love everything they're doing with their marketing campaigns. Um, I do drink cans and um, wonders. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, that's just a few off the top of my head. Um, but yeah. How do you buy cannabis what, when people aren't giving it to you for free? I was going to say, when you're in the weed industry, everybody's giving you free shit. So yes. that's the one. You'll have to that's answer my question. Do you <laughs> go to the dispensary? Do you like delivery? Are you in marketplaces? How do you, how do you buy weed? I'm old school. I like to, I like to see what I'm buying. Um, so I'll hit up Sweet Flower, another one of our partners, by the way, Michelle Mendoza is awesome. Um, and Gorilla RX. Um, but I like going into dispensaries if I am gonna buy something. Yeah. Um, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Ah, uh, what would I be doing? Um, when I was younger, I wanted to be a diplomat. And then I realized I'm not incredibly diplomatic sometimes because, <laughs> because I don't love reading um, policies and iterating them back. But um, what would I be doing? I would, I would like to think that I would be, um, I would be doing some sort of, I would have some type of 501c3 in a different industry. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. And in our generation, I won't ask you how old you are, but we're <laughs> similar in age. I'll assume, um, everyone is obsessed with getting rich uh -huh. and I'm no different to be yeah. frank. Um, why do you think you look at life differently? Um, I've had a few friends ask me this question because they're like, I've, and I'm, and especially I, I'm, people can't see me, but I'm Chinese. And so this is, Ooh. it doesn't make a lot of sense. You have a, an American born Chinese woman in the cannabis space advocating for social equity applicants. I'm not a social equity applicant. Um, and my family, Chinese parents, they care about, they're like, I didn't immigrate here, work my ass off for you to be a nonprofit. But the whole concept behind that is not making money. Um, but I'm personally driven by um, people and supporting people. Um, and if it wasn't, I mean, what I find fascinating about cannabis is this is the fa fastest growing industry that has a tie to social justice and create, uh, can create generational wealth in areas and for people who have not had that same access for generations. Um, and that excites me more than anything else. Um, the cannabis part is obviously important, but I like working with founders and um, problem solving. I think that's a really good answer and uh, a good place to wrap up as any let's let's start to get out of here yeah. um, how can uh how can we help you how can the audience help you are you looking for a new partner mentor new accelerator plug plug whatever you want yeah so as you mentioned um new york and the east coast i think are organ or areas that are going to need the most help um, as their social equity programs turn on um so we are allocating a certain amount of seats to people back east so we are looking for service providers um, that are open to offering pro bono hours, consulting hours, um, like accountants, attorneys um, for folks back east. Um, and then if you're interested in becoming a mentor, um, you can go to thisisourdream.com or follow us on Instagram, which is thisis.ourdream. Um, and apply. you can apply to become a mentor or feel free to DM me. <laughs>
And when's the application process up for the February 15th cohort? Or that's when you're launching the application? Um, so the applications are actually due January 30th, but okay. just DM me if you have, if you have any interest and, um, we can get you involved one way or the, the other. Awesome. Well, Hillary, you're doing great work and it's important. And thank you so much for joining us. If I can help you at all, love to be a mentor or make introductions or whatever, and we'll talk offline, but it's been really great to have you. Thanks again. That would be incredible. Really appreciate you having me.